Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I am your host, and I want to begin by saying thank you for listening. On this show, I am having conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some amazing and extraordinary results in both their life and business. My intention is to inspire and help you learn and grow by having my guests share their journey of how they face and overcome their challenges, but also how they celebrate their many wins. And now let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, Carla Brown, has over 25 years of experience in the real estate industry, starting with Century 21 Dome in 1993, and then working her way up from every job role to becoming provincial broker for six offices. In 2013, she expanded her expertise by venturing into property management, franchisee owner, and franchising, and currently brokers the Office of Real Property Management Professionals in Saskatoon. Carla's passion for the industry, her professionalism, her ability to support and lead her team has driven her company's success. She was recognized as one of Canada's top 100 elite women in real estate and was awarded Franchisee of the Year with RPM in 2018. Currently, she holds the position of President of Real Property Management in Canada, leading the national brand right across the country. Carla also leads the way in many aspects of business and life. And so I'm looking forward to having her share some of her wisdom and lessons that she's learned on her journey to being a top performer. And without any further delays, let's get this show started. Carla Brown, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Now, Carla, I'm excited to have you on the show for a number of reasons, not the least of which is your experience in the world of real estate, your prowess in, you know, business and, you know, certainly currently uh, what you're achieving within real property management. And before we get started, I always open up the conversation with listeners and I say, you know, aside from the bio, which never does justice to my guests, their bios never seem to do justice. If somebody says to you, Carla, what do you do? What's your answer, Carla? Right. What do I do? Right. Well, I wear a few different hats. I think similar to yourself, Patrick, the first hat that I wear is I am president of Real Property Management Canada. So I help build the brand across Canada and work with offices day in and day out and those interested in an opportunity in, uh, in becoming an office with, within the system. And then I also run my own franchise as well. So I, in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, I have a property management franchi franchise, Real Property Management Professionals, and we help small to medium-sized investors who are interested in creating wealth through the real estate asset. Those are the two hats that I wear, you know, besides being, you know, a mom, a wife, uh, you know, everything else that we do on the day-to-day, -day, but yeah. Sure, sure. So when you consider, you know, what you've got on your plate, you were a franchisee for how long now? Have you been in the property management side of things? Yeah. So my franchisee life, um, working within franchises actually started, uh, when I, if I start talking about dates, you're going to know how old I am. <laughs> um, so, uh, so you can do, you can do the math from there. Uh, but back in uh, 1993 and I started working with a century 21 office actually in, um, in Saskatoon, uh, working in bookkeeping and, uh, slowly moved through their office and literally did every position in their office from bookkeeping to front 
front desk to working in administration to supervising, then became manager, then became a broker. And then eventually uh, with partners owned a number of Century 21 offices in the Saskatchewan market. And which I won't go into, it's a very long story, but then it just kind of morphed into this world of property management has so much opportunity. I loved watching what people could do with real estate, loved it. And, but they realized that they needed help. Not everyone was meant to be a, a landlord. Some are obviously, but some aren't. And they loved being able to purchase real estate and what that could do for them. And they could see how that was going to appreciate year after year, but didn't necessarily want to do all of that day-to-day stuff. Mm-hmm. So I saw a need. And then, and when the brand, uh, that, it was actually the family that owned the Century 21 group that then bought the master rights to real property management in Canada. And so I already knew that family from my Century 21 world. And then it was just a natural that we should add this into what we were doing. So bought the franchise. My partners weren't super excited about being in property management. They were realtors, right? That's where they came. And I was the, I was the, the operational manager uh, and owner at the time and, and broker. And, but I really wanted to do this. I saw a great need. And so saw the synergy of those two brands working closer together or those two industries. So I said, we're going to do it. And they said, if we're going to do it, you're doing it. So I did it. And then that just kind of kept on, kept me going. I slowly moved away from the century 21 responsibilities and focused on building the property management brand instead. Well, when we look at property management today, uh, if you consider that real estate investing seems to be and has actually grown, if you look at the numbers, uh, the numbers have gotten quite large in terms of investors. I know Rain is an organization with you and well, with RPM as a trusted partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. We're kind of given some pretty good insights into what's going on in the world of investors. And, you know, you look right across the country and investing is, uh, was, I'm going to say was, I don't know that it still is a really popular way to uh, create that financial future. Now, to your point, I don't know why anybody would want to manage their own properties. Uh, I've done both and I have no problem saying that managing properties is not the best use of my time, nor am I interested in it, nor do I fire it up. So I get fired up about it. So when you look at property management and what's happening in the world of real estate, I mean, it's obviously been a growth market, hence RPM, real property management's growth. Give me some insights into what you're seeing in the overall, from your perspective, being in the franchise business as well as the property management business, how has it grown over the past, let's say, I don't know, three, four, five years? Immensely to your point. And then I, I will also add that this morning I I this might I won't say dates, but um I read the the new CMHC report that came out on Thursday. I hadn't read through it. And, and that was like, well, that was not a good way to start a Monday because that was rather depressing. So I was kind of like trying to erase that from my from my brain. But the rental industry has really grown. And I think the biggest piece of what has grown is that. Canada doesn't realize there's companies like ours that will manage when you only have one property or you only have three, or if you have a hundred, they always they think property management, they think of these great big multiplexes all the time. And these big corporations that own these, own these, um, buildings and, and house people, instead of realizing that they're actually people like me who love to manage for small to medium-sized investors. So it has grown. Not only has the investment side grown, I mean, it's grown because of the demand for rentals continues to grow. Um, You know, every year we see more and more. And now we're in this 
this kind of weird place where it's harder maybe to purchase the investment property, but there's still such a strong need. So I, you know, the opportunity, and I know that you always are looking for opportunity, Patrick, because I've heard you speak many, many times over the, our years and involvement with rain. And it's trying to figure out where those little pockets of opportunity are right now and how investors can get in and, and put their money towards real estate and still see that, um, that income in the end. And, uh, your point on who would want to manage their, their properties. I find that there's still a strong emotional attachment every once in a while for landlords, especially with that first property that they're buying, that they're not quite ready to let go of it. And when you bring your property into real property management, there's like, you have to gain some relationship building. You have to have that connection. And now you're going to have that trust that we're going to actually look after that property for you and give you that peace of mind. Uh, But once people do it, then it's like, well, now I want to buy another one and I just want to give it to you because I just want to, I just want you to give me that check every month and not have to worry about everything that goes on with it. But you know, you experienced it now you don't want to have much to do with it. So well, there's a, there's a couple of aspects to it, and I think it's a great conversation to have, is that as much as I don't want to do property management because I don't think it's a great use of my time, and the other side of it is, I think, you know, in my years as a, you know, an educator and a coach in the world of investing in real estate, a lot of people get stuck because, oh my gosh, I won't cash flow or I'm eating up 10% of my cash flow or whatever the most recent property management numbers are, but they're looking at it from the same perspective of those individuals who don't want to use a realtor, I'm not giving them my commission. Like I can't imagine selling my property for three, four, five, a million dollars, whatever that might be. And then having to write my realtor a check, that's crazy. I'll do it myself. And I think there's a part of the investor kind of mindset that looks at it from a cash flow point of view and go, I'll just do it myself. I would rather pay, you know, I'll pay myself, which they never do, but it's not worth my, or it's not, I don't want to pay a property manager to do it. I think people get stuck on that. But here, as you know, and I know is that I'm guilty of this. I still manage kind of about three properties just because I've got tenants in there. They've been literally there 20 years. They paid for the property. And it's really just nothing more than, you know, doing a little bit of maintenance when they phone me. So they're self-managed. Having said that, recently, you know, you look and say, well, the market is increasing uh, some of the real estate I own in Edmonton. And am I really current on what rents should be? You know, am I increasing my rents to the maximum that I could or what is going right? And I don't think so. And I think mostly people don't realize that on the property management side of it, you don't have that attachment to it. You just kind of go in there and go, you know something, I think we should consider upping rents here and here's current market rent. What do you want to do? That's how I look at it. Otherwise, so as much as there's a, you know, that cost associated with it, there's also the savings and the gains from having a property manager that's playing the game. So if you want to kind of speak to that long-winded opening for you to kind of go further down that rabbit hole, if you wouldn't mind, Carla. Yeah, I, I remember I, I did a podcast on on our um, podcast that we have, Canada's Property Management Podcast, and uh, we did this one. It was one of the first ones that we did, and I did this calculation to kind of show to our listeners what it really costs when you hire a property manager. I think it came out to something like 29 cents an hour. It was, it was ridiculous when I like factored everything in because I truly believe we are not a 
cost to the investor. We are actually a cost savings because when we put into play everything that we bring to the table with different types of technology, and of course, everything in technology is, is a cost, how we go about advertising. Advertising is, is not free online if you want to be on with the big players anymore. Uh, what we bring with the savings for some of the vendors that we offer because of the volumes that we're doing, and you factor all of that in and then realize that you no longer have to pick up the phone or answer a text at two o'clock in the morning because we've got a system to do that. Um, it, it, it doesn't end that emotional part. Like I always say, this is a business to me. So if I'm, I'm looking after your properties, I'm there to protect your properties. And that's something that I take very seriously. I can take that emotional piece out of it. I have emotions. Trust me. I still have emotions. And I'm, I'm, I'm a feeling person and I feel for the tenants and I feel for the investors, but we, we work through that um, that relationship on both sides mm -hmm. as well. And the interesting thing that I find, especially because of the interprovincial migration that we've seen, when we see people moving from province to province, they are more apt to come in because they don't know the area. They don't know who to trust. They are more apt to come and deal with a property management company because they feel that we're here to protect them as well. So I feel like self-managed landlords kind of check themselves out of a lot of people nowadays, because if, if I've helped a tenant, they don't leave. Like they, we have lots that have uh, left for, because maybe they've moved or because they, you know, they uh, partnered up or whatever the case may be. And they've come back all of a sudden they're phoning us up and saying, this is what I'm looking for. I'm only going to rent from you guys. And I, I think that is, is because we do have that way of balancing what we need to do to retain strong tenants and what we need to do to protect our investors. Um, so I, I think I went long-winded there as well. Uh, but I'm a, I'm a big believer that there's this is not a cost. This is a cost savings in the long run for investors. Well, I think you make such a good point there, Carla, which I think... You know, even as you were saying that, I went, oh, yeah, I know that, but I needed, I'm glad you reminded me of that, which is to say, we always look at one side of the equation, which is, you know, who are we as a landlord? Are we going to use a property manager? But there's the other side of the equation, which is our tenants or and or our clients that are there, many of them are lifelong renters and that's what they're going to be and that's what they're going to do. And they're savvy and they're actually, there's a degree of sophistication there. Many are educated when you consider the affordability issue. People aren't buying homes, not because they don't want to, they can't afford to because they have, so they have to rent. But that's not to say that they're not going to do the same diligence. That's all to say that the brand of, let's say, real property management, RPM, is as important to the tenant as it is to us as property manager in terms of the service you provide, the tenant looks at it and goes, oh, good, this is an RPM property. I know what I get for management. And that's an interesting kind of perspective that I think that we shouldn't step over. It's important to recognize the fact that tenants come in and they will look at the brand of the property management because they're at the effect of it. That's where they're living. So I think it's just a great point that you bring up. When we go into this conversation nowadays, when we think about, and I say nowadays, as opposed to, you know, even four or five years ago, technology is huge. And technology in terms of applications, credit applications, you know, really understanding, you know, who our, who our tenant profile is when you're doing the homework and behind the scenes. I mean, there's been a lot of technology development in the property management world. 
I'm assuming RPM embraces that. Anything that you would shine a light on in terms of how technologies affected the uh, the property management space? Yeah. So when uh, if we go back to when COVID first started, I would say our offices we're all impacted. So to say we weren't impacted would would not be right. But we felt the impact much less than a lot of companies because we were already using technology to do things like rent collection. We were already using technology to communicate. We already had tenant and owner portals, things that were, I think were shiny back then. And they're not anymore because then COVID drove technology at light speed and, and especially in industries like ours. Uh, so anyone could grab hold of some fairly reasonably cost technology and start implementing it. So then we upped our ante just a little bit more. And so we have a base program. It's one that's actually based out of the U.S. because our franchise is actually originated in the U.S. over 35 years ago. So we take a lot of what they've learned over those 35 years and implemented it here in Canada. So we use a program called Appfolio. Most people, most of your listeners, if they're here in Canada, won't even know what it is, what that is, but that's our base program that we use. And then we wrap something around it, which is, um, another piece of technology called lead simple, which is all of our, it's our CRM. It's our sales process. It's all of our working workflows and all of the automation and pieces of communication that can be automated and wrap that around that folio so that our offices can start to provide a consistent client experience. Now, just like when you go into a Tim Hortons, Tim Hortons down the street from you, and then go to a Tim Hortons in another province, there's going to be some similarities and there's going to be some differences, right? And that's just natural because you're dealing with people and the owners of those companies will have, will bring a different um, flavor or a little bit of a different feel to it at times. But what the client, both from the tenant and the investor should see from a month to month perspective should be very, very similar. And you should be able to count on that. So those are two pieces of what I would call our very base technology that we use uh, in order to run our offices. But then with AI exploding now the way it is, we're now adding a couple pieces uh, with AI, one in particular that I'm super excited about, and I think it's really going to change property management is uh, with maintenance. The biggest thing is how do we save maintenance costs for our investors so that when a tenant lets us know that there is a problem with the sink, that we're just not rushing out and sending a plumber at $100 or $150 an hour to fix it because you as an investor are not happy to get there to find out that it was just a washer that needed to be changed out. So now we're adding AI where it gives the tenant a little bit of we're giving them more responsibility. We're making them really responsible people as well and giving them some education. And the AI is going to help them give us the information we need so that now we're sending technicians out when we need to and we're incurring costs when we need to. Or maybe through AI, we could have just taught the tenant on how to fix the problem on their side. And it's really cool. I can't wait. It's, it's, um, we're that one I'm getting excited about because we're really close to launching it, but there's a few other pieces of technology, you know, the rent collection, the credit checks, all of these pieces are standard in our offices, but now also having a bit of a flavor from AI. And the other one that we recently, um, launched was uh, a product that helps us do um, a risk analysis for our new to Canada members, comers. We're not able to check credit on. So now it is actually helps us go out and, and help them as well be able to rent because they can't rent in a lot of places unless they can give 
credit information. So we can do a risk profile on them, help them open up a bank account, all of these stumbling blocks that they are, that they're stumbling against when they come into Canada. You know, it's interesting, the AI, I just recently came across this and uh, have done a little bit of research early on. You know, everybody's excited about chat GDP and it's really great and it does some amazing things. I've played with it a lot. It is really quite remarkable what it does, but it's static. In other words, everything that's in there is already there. Uh, back to 2021, I believe, is the date and timeline in that. But because you're US-based, something to make a note of is Google just launched BARD uh, AI, and that's actually interfaced with the internet. So the information is current. It's not available in Canada apparently yet. Uh, if you got a VPN, I think you can do a workaround. So I just started doing some research, just a side note uh, to pay attention. This whole AI thing, we don't know where it's going. Uh, I find it quite fascinating and frightening all at the same time, given where it can go. But we'll see what happens. And I recently had a guest on the podcast, uh, Travis Steffen. And anyways, he's an AI guy. And he actually went really dark for a moment. He's in the like his technology. And he goes, yeah, he says the extreme of it is, is it could be the end of humankind. I went, oh, thanks for sharing no. that, Travis. <laughs> he goes, that's the dark side, but he goes, there's a lot of stuff in between. So anyways, that, yeah. was a, that was an interesting podcast. Now, when we talk about property management, we sit here and you and I have been in it. We've coached, we've facilitated conversations with real estate investors. There are many real estate, in, we'll call them speculators or gamblers out there, accidental landlords. You know, if you're giving a message to anybody out there, is there one that you, you know, come across on an ongoing basis of, you know, oversights or mistakes made or something that you see reoccurring uh, that you would want to shine a light on or that you could shine a light on going, be careful, don't do this. I see it all the time and this will come back to bite you in the ass. Any, any kind of profound insights into that world, Carla, from a property management perspective? for new investors so uh and and so now i'm speaking to people who are just going just buying their first property or accidental landlords who maybe can't sell their property we see a lot of that they can't sell their property i've got some really strong relationships in the real estate world just because that's where i came from so then the realtor will turn to me and like can you help them um and sure we can help them for uh, for until the market turns or whatever the case may be and whatever if their end game is eventually to sell then i get that uh, but Real estate investing is not for everyone. So when you deal with an accidental landlord, you need to prepare them in a different way than what I would prepare an investor coming to me who's looking to get into this game. So an accidental landlord, I really want to have conversations with them there's a possibility that you might not get rent every single month. Like there is a possibility that the property is going to be vacant. If I take it on, on May 15th, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to have a renter by the end of the week. So, you know, we really need to talk to them about what that is. I mean, I think our vacancy uh, times are really low, but we still need to do that. And what is rent ready uh, what a rent ready property may not be the same as when they're living in it. So when I talk to them, we have those conversations. When I talk to an, someone who's looking at investing, I say, please, please, please talk to us before you put in your offer to purchase. Please. Uh, uh, the, I believe in that power team. Rain talks a lot about it and you need to have all of these professionals behind you when you're getting into real estate investing, but a realtor does not know for sure what the market rent is. They know what the market sale price is. That's their perfect. That's their professional 
that's what they work in. That's the profession. Um, but we can help give them rental ranges. So I would say like, contact me before you buy the property. I can tell you where we're seeing in different markets, rent the demand for renters. I can tell you what the real market ranges that you're going to be dealing with rent are. And we can start to work the numbers to see if that is the right property for you to invest in because people get excited. You've probably seen it a million and one times where this is their first property. They're getting so excited to, to just like write that offer. It, you know, the prices in their price range finally came forward, but we're like, please send us some MLS numbers. Let us know who you're dealing with as a realtor. Let us have some conversations. We want it to be a win. Mm -hmm. It is so interesting, isn't it? Because people do get excited about the numbers, but they're looking at a pro forma that is really just a forecast. And sadly, you know, performance can be made to look where whatever they need to look like if you're the person selling that particular unit or that particular property. And, uh, you know, you have to look at it and go expected rent. Okay, well, we'd all like that expected rent, but what is the reality of those rents? And I think that is a, a really common one. I don't know that it's the top one, but it's got to be up there where the math is based on anticipated or expected or forecast rent, as opposed to what's really going on. And that's where a property management company like yours and RPM comes in because you got it all. I mean, you've got all that information pretty much at your fingertips and you can get very specific in terms of the area. You know, Carla, I want to take us off on a little bit tangent. I want to talk a little bit about you. Uh, I mean, you've very accomplished in what you've done and where you've come to. And, you know, often I have listeners, you know, part of the whole show is about seemingly ordinary, achieving extraordinary and you know, when you look at your own journey and you look back at your past, you're sitting here today and kind of on a quasi entrepreneurial path and you're a little bit of both, you know, you're both entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial, uh, you're doing it all. When you look back on your history, you know, growing up, did you expect yourself to be an entrepreneur? Did you, as a young lady, young girl, did you go, I want to be my own boss when I grow up? What was it for you? How, how was it for you? Or was it just an entrepreneurial accident? It did become a bit of an accident. Actually. I did not. It's strange. I think I always was a little bossy. So <laughs> I don't, but in a good way, in a good way, like mm -hmm. bossy in a good way. I love to solve problems. Like it, love to solve problems. So I, I realized that I always got in front of the problem and then I brought people along with me and I always like to work with people. Um, so bossy is probably a really strong word. I didn't want to say controlling because that even sounds worse, but it was like, I always like to solve these problems. And my uncle was a realtor and he owned a real estate company. And that's how I originally got introduced to Century 21. But remember, it wasn't a bookkeeping position. Uh, it was very administrative. And lots of people would say to me, well, are you going to get into real estate now? And are you going to sell real estate? And I was like, no, no, I don't want to ever sell. I don't want to sell. But I was fascinated by the business. Once I started to really understand business and that's what I loved. So I got my license. I became a broker, but it was the business and the operational side that I really incredibly loved. And then when the opportunity came up where not only could I work in this, but I actually could own it, then it was like, yeah, I totally want to do that because I, I, the, the bossy part came out again, where I didn't want to be in, I was in corporate for a, a short stint and realized that 
it was really strong corporate and that that wasn't for me. I didn't like all of those layers of decision-making. I love to be able to make decisions and I love to be able to allow my team to make decisions and to see where we could move things quite quickly. So when I joined RPM Canada, it, that was an accident as well as I put up my hand to help them through some of the things that they were going, going through, which I realized I had already solved for in my own franchise. And then it led to this position, but you know, they really do allow me to run it like my, it's my own company. It's not, but, and I respect that and I'm very aware of that, but they really allow me to, to move it in the direction that I think we need to move. Uh, so I've been very fortunate in the role that I am. So to your question, very entrepreneurial. That is my heart. And, and that's, I think, why I love the franchise business is because I love helping people get into business. I love for them to see this opportunity and be able to come in and make a business out of it, but realizing that they're in business for themselves, but with the franchise, never by yourself. So I can help support you along the way. And that's where I, that's really what gets me out of bed each day is like, how can I help these people, whether you're an investor, how can I help you when you want, if you operate, want to operate a business, how can I help you? So when you look at that franchise, I mean, one of the things that when I look at a franchise, one of the, my own kind of thought process around it is it's one thing to buy a business and an existing format as in a franchise, but I want to be able to scale it. I don't want to buy myself a job. And there's lots of franchises out there where you're buying yourself a job and I believe in, you know, when I look at real property management, that that actually gives you an opportunity to do, to actually build and scale a business, to not buy yourself a job, but to actually step in as a CEO or, and grow the business so that you are in fact uh, having a team surrounding yourself with the right people. Is that the case or am I making up a story? No, you're not making up a story. In fact, if you're looking for a job, this isn't the franchise to buy for sure. Uh, we do, we're looking for we're looking for entrepreneurial minded business people who see themselves. They might love the investment world of real estate. So that would, lots of them are investors to begin with. And they're like, well, I'm doing this for myself. So I could actually do it for others. This is a business. They come in and start doing it. But my, when I, we start working with them, I want to show them how they can get out of working in the business and really work on the business. And then now you have a business, you've created this legacy piece yourself. So not only do you have your properties that are helping you, you have this business that now you might have a succession plan in the future, whether that's, you know, through generational generations that are going to take that over, or you're going to sell it in the future. So there's no end to the opportunity when you join real property management as to how far you can scale your business. In fact, I think our systems are built in order for people to scale their business. Yeah. You know, that's the one size or one side of a franchise. You know, the benefit of it is that a lot of these systems and processes are already in place and you're not having to reinvent the wheel. You're not having to figure that stuff out for yourself. It's already there and you can apply it, you know, tweak it if need, if necessary, but ultimately you've got a really great foundation. And, and that's, of course, that's the upside of a franchise. You know, yourself, Carla, when you consider, you know, I know that you're big on team, you're, build, you're big on building team, you know, as the president of, a company as the leader of your team and a franchise owner. I'm curious as you know, in your own development as, as a leader, is it something that you intentionally study? Do you read a lot about uh, leadership? Do you read a lot about, are you uh, in the space of personal development, professional development? 
Or do you find that some of your leadership qualities comes pretty natural? And, you know, because I've had guests where they go, no, I do no, no leadership study at all. It's just how I am, just what I do. That's the path I follow. Uh, what is it for you? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, I am an avid learner, uh, an avid reader. And I think it's, um, although I think my reading is both uh, leadership and mindset. I think I really focus on both of those because I think they just go so hand in hand. And I'm sure, I'm sure you and your wife would really agree uh, because I I listen to you guys all the time. Um, So I think those two things are are important, but I think you have to have a growth mindset and you always have to be learning. Uh, Things change. So I, even though the basics of leadership and actually the basics of mindset haven't changed for decades, there are little things that are, are tweaked along the way. Um, one thing that I implemented both in my own franchise and with RPM Canada was um, trying to help our businesses run like businesses and be stronger leaders. So I helped them implement um, the the EOS system, so tr- the book Traction by Gina Wickman. And it really has helped a lot of business owners to really try to understand how you can operate your business and start working on it instead of in it. So it's a great book on building a team and, and leading them. Um, but last week I actually was, uh, off line for three whole days in a business masterclass that was specifically on leadership and business. And, and I do it about every six months, this same workshop because, and every time I walk away with tons of notes and more that I'm going to implement. So I think it's really, really important as leaders that we're, we are constantly evolving. Um, I don't think we're ever done learning quite honestly. Um, but I do think that leaders, you have to love to lead. Uh, so you have to have that natural part of you that you, you love to bring a team along with you and you love to see their success. And, um, and I, that is something I absolutely love. I love to build it. You know, it is interesting, isn't it? That we do this work in terms of, you know, that we'll call it our leadership training or personal development or whatever it might be, professional development. You know, I've, I've, you know, this many years into it, I'm just, coming up to 40 years of being in business and the challenges I faced. And yet, and Stephanie and I do a Mindset Matters podcast every week and we love doing it. We have some good laughs, some good debates <laughs> uh, prior to the show. But, you know, it's interesting that either I have a really short memory or, you know, I hear and I go, shit, I know all this stuff. I just need to be reminded. You know, here's my own experience with it is that we get caught in life and we get curveballs thrown at us. There's a, the challenges that we face on an almost day-to-day basis sometimes. Things aren't always great. We love it when they are, but you know, challenges are just part of it and the degree that we're dealing with them. But we also have to say, how do we contextualize some of the stuff that we're facing, the headwinds that we're facing? And you tap into some tools but there's also tools that you forgot that you even have because you haven't had to use them for a while. And sometimes you need a reminder. So it's it really is about, as you said, it's all out there. We've probably read it before, seen it somewhere before. Uh, sometimes we're just not ready to hear it. And then other times we are. I guess it's really part of it. You know, you're saying, you know, every few months you get into some kind of a mastermind on leadership or whatever that might be. But are you finding the same thing? Is that, oh, yeah, no, I know all of this stuff. I just need to be reminded. Yes, well, exactly. Like I said, the basics of business are the basics of business and they don't, they don't change. But I think for me, you hear things at different points in life that you need at that point in time. 
So you might've heard it all the time, but that's not where you actually were or what you were working on or what was on your mind. And when you hear it at that, just at that right moment, all of a sudden something will just click and then that's what you're going to implement. And, um, I, I don't, are do you and Stephanie listened or read anything with by Earl Nightingale, your mm, mindset people? So, you yeah, probably, yeah. so, so somebody introduced me to uh, Earl Nightingale, and actually, I have to admit, I'd never heard of him. Mm. And then they had me watch like the this or listen to the strangest secret, and I listened to this thirty-six minute podcast. And I mean, I don't know exactly what date it was, but it was many years ago that he did this. But I'm like, this is like the same. Th- thing today that it was way back when. And it's like, we never really talked about mindset back then and the importance of it, like not to the degree that we do now, but when you think about all of the people that you've really respected over the years, all of the people that have been incredible leaders, um, incredibly successful, whatever your definition of success is, because that's different for, for different people, but they've all possessed these same things. And that's being able to wrap their mind about around where opportunity lies. And as soon as you start wrapping your mind around that and start feeding it, those kinds of things, all of a sudden opportunity comes. Like I remember like thinking, wow, I could really do this. And then all of a sudden you're doing it. Why is that? And I, I, I know that you've done that. That's you obviously are the same way. Otherwise you wouldn't be in the position that you're in and do and doing what you do coaching people. But I just, I'm fascinated by it. So if I would say to anyone who's even thinking about getting into investing, pay attention to what Patrick and Stephanie say, because the mindset has to be there or you will get stuck. And that's where, I mean, you must help just hundreds of people through that. We do, you know, but it, at the end of the day, you know, Stephanie and I talk about it, you know, collectively, we own four different businesses, we got a lot going on. And, you know, there's on any given day, we're dealing with all sorts of challenges. You know, we went through really tough times in uh, through COVID with our businesses and the challenges that yeah. we faced, and we had to come through that. So it was really all of the skills that we have and had gained that got us through that time and we're still going through shit like everybody is you know so it is a way for us to get grounded every week and share some messages and some learnings and some reminders and you know that's why we do what we do you know there's there's nothing in it for us in in that regard so we do it because we think it's a great message and we just kind of love to play in that space it is a great message it is a great message carla when you look at what's going on on a macro level i mean we can look at the business part of it and you know we say well we've got uh, you know, million and a half people projected to come into Canada in 2023. That is mind blowing. I mean, aside from what it does to housing, it's crushing infrastructure. We can get into all sorts of political uh, rants and debates about right or wrong, but we consider just the impact of it. But then you go into the macro, you've got China, Taiwan, Ukraine, Russia, uh, what's going on in the UK, Germany, Europe overall. I mean, there's so much macro going on in the world, Carla, and I know that you're not oblivious to it, but when you think about the, you know, your children or perhaps at some point or if you've got grandchildren, but the point is is that we look at what's happening in the world, how do you kind of do you have a do you, do you just kind of park it in behind you or do you have a way of dealing with all of the things that are going on at that level? and don't buy into it? How do you deal with it? 
<laughs> that's a great question. I do have a grandchild. I have a seven-year-old granddaughter, and that's probably where it enters my mind because I look at myself and then I look at, you know, my, my husband and even my kids, my, like they're all, they're moving fine and they're older and looking after themselves. But I think we look at these younger generations and really wonder everything that's going around us nowadays, how is that going to affect them when they are older? Where are they going? Like, for me, because it's the real estate space, where are they going to live? What are the forces that are going to be impacting them? So I, I don't think I ever really park it, although I'm very optimistic. Like I do also also always realize that, okay, well, if this is the way it is, what can we do to change it? Who needs to be involved and, and where do we need to go? And that's, you know, the, the problem solver in me. And then you, I look at the property management space across Canada and I feel it's still very fragmented. The U.S., very different than what's happening in Canada, but the, the property management space is still very fragmented where we do have a lot of, there's not a lot of consistency in how things run across the board. I mean, RPM Canada is, we, we are doing that, you know, with our offices, but it's, um, you know, the, it's still, it's still not at a level where I feel it's working in conjunction closely enough with the real estate industry to really impact, make the impact that it needs to, where I feel real estate and property management are still, they still butt heads. It's like the realtor doesn't want you to rent and the property manager doesn't want you to sell. And I look at it very differently and I'm like, what's the, what's the best thing right now for that client? Um, and how can we actually then help them continue on whatever that real estate journey or housing journey is going to be? Because that's the way I look at it is that we have the 17 or 18 year old or 19 year old trying to get into the rental space to rent a house, they might eventually want to buy or they're going to have to upsize on their rental or when they buy, or is it going to be an investment property? And if you just look at it as a great big housing journey that we could really be helping them through in a different way. So, but trying to figure out how we can get governments from a federal perspective, provincial perspective, and then you, the municipalities all in unison trying to solve the problems that we're facing right now that's, I guess, how do we do that? I'm not going to say it's a wish because I don't want to just wish I'd like to be part of the solution. Um, but it takes all of us trying to understand what the true problem is and not just the problem that's going to best solve our industry problem, like just the real estate industry, just the property management industry, just the mortgage industry. I'd like to like figure out how collectively we can solve them together. It is a huge undertaking. It's almost like, where do you even start? That is one of the problems in the housing uh, industry overall, both U.S. and Canada. But when we look at Canada, it's easy to call it a crisis. And, and then you kind of look at all the reasons or all of the things that we would consider crisis. You know, I would like to, because you're in Saskatchewan, uh, when we look at what's happening in Ontario, uh, let's get specific and say GTA and even Toronto, we are seeing huge issues with where do people live, cost of living. I've just recently been having conversations with individuals who are sharing stories about, you know, what we would refer to as a McMansion, you know, those big grandiose homes. And you wonder how the heck can anybody buy those as an investment and make them cash flow? Well, guess what? They're taking international students and renting them out for six or 800 bucks a month for a room that the room is really, you know, a couple of blanket walls, a common bathroom, and they're putting 10, 15, 20 students in this almost slum, uh, I guess we'll call it 
you know, slumlord housing of some sort, if you will. And we're seeing that happen at the extreme there. Uh, in Saskatchewan, you've got a lot of immigrants coming into the province. You've got uh, refugees, Ukrainian refugees coming into the province. How are you seeing what's happening from your side of it? And when you kind of have the perspective of Canada within RPM, what are you seeing in, in that side of the equation? Well, we're, we're seeing a lot of them are are finding housing because people are actively looking for them, for the new immigrants coming in. The, uh, the flip side is we're seeing a lot of people who used to be able to be in housing homeless. Um, and so the, the homeless population right across Canada, it does not matter what city you're in, has been increasing and increasing. And it was just yesterday, my husband and I went for a walk and we live right on the riverbank here in Saskatoon. And as we were up on, t on the top trail, I looked down and I'm like, there's a tent right there. Like there, and there was never tents right there. Like that's, I, I, we just don't live in an area that has ever had a visibility of a lot of homelessness. And it just really makes me understand how big of a problem it is. Um, and, uh, so I think we're feeling it even in, in Saskatoon, but I do find that when we see the refugees coming in, there's groups that are supporting them and they're helping them find what a lot of it is temporary housing. And then they're, you know, slowly moving into their own rental housing as they get a little bit established. But are we setting ourselves up to push people that were in housing to be homeless like that it's 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 problem and and we're never going to solve it unless we get more houses and how do we get more houses we have to break down the barriers we have to remove the red tape we have to increase the supply we need more labors like the problems go on forever to really solve the the problem and and you're right it, you know Canada and the US are very similar in in that i was in San Diego a couple of weeks ago and my uber driver we were having a conversation and I asked him, you know, what area in San Diego he lived and, you know, just having a little chit chat. And then we started talking about homelessness and he said he has good friends who have full-time jobs, which are considered, you know, decent paying jobs living in their car because there's no way that they could ever rent a room or rent a house or a, a condo or apartment or um, not even like, like not even a room. They they live in their car. Obviously, that's not feasible year-round in places like Saskatchewan, but it's just, this is a problem everywhere, and how do we solve it? And I think that, I don't know who told me this or whether I was reading, but we're even seeing less, like our population isn't going up here in Canada and North America by us. It's going up from you know, migration, which brings a lot of great things to the country. So I don't think that's where we, that we should stop that. But it's like, I don't know, like, it just seems like we're going around in a circle. And how do we actually get to a point where we can solve the problem? Now, I feel like I'm going in a circle. Sorry, I didn't mean to circle talk there. <laughs> well, no, it's, but, but that is, this, it really is frustrating, isn't it? And, you know, it is uh, a little challenging when you kind of look at just how biggest scope or the scope of the problem and what it is. You know, I find myself in when it comes to housing and politics these days, you know, I can get very activated politically in terms of what I see going on. It drives me crazy. You know, my most recent quote is that, you know, the new definition of his insanity is expecting the government that's creating the housing problem to be the same government that fixes the housing problem that they create. And that is definitely challenging given that it's federal, provincial, municipal 
Mariupol. The right arm doesn't know what the left arm is doing. You know, one city does a pretty great job of getting zoning and permits issued. Well, the bigger cities such as Vancouver and Toronto are literally stuck. It, they can't even intentionally do it, let alone by accident. Like maybe they should just leave it by accident and let people do it. I don't know what or how to solve that problem. It really is uh, quite a predicament that we find ourselves and we hear the stories from developers, builders, uh, even you know small developers who are, let's say, going to convert a, a single-family lot into a fourplex. You know, uh, rezone it. Permits take weeks, and the cost is astronomical. And I'm looking at it, and on the other side of it, we keep trying to crush demand, whether it be foreign buyers tax, in increased rates, uh, more difficulty getting financing. They tr they try and crush the demand side of it, yet. It's a supply issue primarily from my perspective, or there's a balance that has to be struck. And when they crush or when they challenge the ability for people to get financing, this goes back to us as investors, we need to provide rental housing. That's what we do. And there's a huge demand for it. And if they keep kind of stopping or preventing investors from investing for all the reasons, mostly politics over policy, we don't get the housing built or supplied that we need for the renters. And it is a vicious circle. You know, to your point, it's like, holy cow, we can go around in this conversation forever. I don't know. I actually don't know what the solution is. I, I have thought a lot about it. And it's easy to say, well, just more supply. And I can't wrap my mind around that ever happening because the bureaucracy of the three levels of government just seem to be problematic. And I think there's such urgency around it that is really what's getting in the way. So we can be optimistic about it and go, okay, well, they'll get it handled. But what do we do in the next 10 years? What do we do for the next 10 years? That's where I get stuck with it and get very frustrated. I don't know. I was just kind of an open rant. I don't know if you want to enter a conversation there anywhere yeah. or not, Carla. <laughs> no, I, I think the rant is good. I think the rant has to happen because I think it takes a lot of people understanding that we know how they feel. And maybe at some point we're going to be able to resonate with the right people. Um, it has, I mean, it has to start with government. They're making, they're making the decisions. They, they ultimately are making the decisions, but you're right. If we continue to go on the path that we're going, that has brought us to this point in time where we have all of these problems and expecting them to solve it, it's, not going to happen. I just, everyone needs to let go of the barriers and not be so protective and they don't need to protect their own territory, whether that be a city or province, um, and realize that we all want to solve the one problem. We want to put people in houses, period. And that's going to mean people have to have the ability to buy a house and people are going to have to have the ability to buy houses to rent them. Like, Well, it, I, I chuckle only because we need to put people in housing, uh, but not in my backyard, you know, because yeah, that will screw right? up my parking. <laughs> so, we uh, run... yeah, but not, 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 yeah, exactly. Yours, but not mine. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm interested in watching. I don't know if you've been paying attention to it. And I just read another article in the Globe and Mail today about it. And that is Calgary being very progressive in terms of taking commercial space, office space, and turning it into residential and ultimately residential rental housing. And, I think it's a step in the right direction. As I read the article, they were talking about just how difficult that task is given all the things that they have to do from an infrastructure point of view in a office tower versus a Definitely. residential. And there's all sorts of things that go on with that, which is to say, you know, cost 
in terms of doing it all, then add to that the challenges, the infrastructure challenges, the engineering challenges, and even to the point where some bedrooms aren't going to have windows. Now that's an interesting concept. And then they then said, well, a certain percentage of it is going to be for some version of affordable or even for homeless. And I went, to me, this is going to be an epic failure. They're going to have this building put together. And I say epic failure. Maybe if they don't need to be profitable, it will work. But I look at it going, who is your tenant profile? Who's going to live in that building? And the minute you put, I guess, what we'll call affordable housing in there or some portion of it to accommodate homeless, you totally take a whole demographic off the table as who might be your tenant profile. Have you had any thoughts around that? I, I, I'm, I'm struggling. I love the idea. 1.3 million square feet of uh, office space being turned residential. I mean, it wins on both sides on the surface. I just, do you think there's going to be a demand for those types of units? And I mean, this was just one article in Globe and Mail with this described the unit. And I went, who the heck are going to live in these? Any any insights yeah. into that, Carla? No, I'm well. No, no real insights except that I 100% agree with you. Is that if we look at the sh the shelters that have been built in the different downtown cores to help with homelessness, none of those, in my opinion, end up being great living spaces. So that's going to be the same thing that's going to happen here. Is like who are you going to put there? And you can't have a different set of like building codes for what's acceptable for a homeless person versus somebody who can afford to pay for their rent. Um, so I don't know how they're going to do that. And then you take into taking your own uh, property that you're buying. So not an um, office building, but you're buying a, a property, an apartment building or a small, a small fourplex that now you're going to turn into a rental and you're looking at it and you're going to weigh the options of, is this better to renovate or is this better to knock it down and rebuild? And a lot of times the knock it down and rebuild is a cheaper way of doing it than it is to renovate. Um, and so if they're going to take an office building that was built to office code standards and try to then rejig it, renovate it to be a living space, I think it's going to be hugely expensive. What I thought was a kind of a cool thing that came out during, um, during COVID was where we had hotels, where some of the hotels were converting into um, apartment buildings. That I thought was cool because these are already rooms that are ready to go. They're self-contained. They have all the plumbing in place and whatnot. But so I thought that was actually going to be a thing, but that was just me thinking that because it didn't really turn into be a thing. <laughs> I think managing it turned into a nightmare uh, based on some brief conversations I've had with some insiders on that. Okay. They just kind of yeah. rolled their eyes and said, you know, you cannot manage uh, people in that environment, especially as long term. And most of them, again, were, you know, homeless or affordability issues. And so it just was not a great mix of how do you do this? There's a lot of damage and fights and all the things that went on in that particular environment. I think that's the biggest thing, right? Is what's the environment you're creating. And when you create an environment, then people are going to gravitate who make, who like that environment. And uh, so it's going to attract a certain tenant profile. That's ultimately, I think what happens. Yeah. Carla, you know, there's, you know, you talk about tenant profile. We talk about what's going on in Calgary. When we look across the country, I have very strong opinions of this, but I'm talking to a world-class property manager. Now, in my opinion, if, and based on my experience 
from an investor point of view, we have to respect that demographically, different property types are work better in some centers than others. So in other words, for me, I would not advise investors, and I talk to lots of investors, as you know, and I go, if you're going to invest in a condo in Edmonton, just don't. Just don't. There's a, a glut of them. It isn't a profile that works really well. They're tough to cash flow. You've got strata fees, as in condo fees, that are only ever going up along with insurance costs. And culturally, it's a, it's a tough go in a city like Edmonton. Calgary, less so. And then, of course, you go into the country or across the country, you go to Vancouver, that's what they do. You know, condo style or even multifamily residential purpose built. And then again, in as you get into Southern Ontario, Toronto, GTA, et cetera. Now, what's your view? I want to know, based on your kind of, in your mind, the data and what you see across the country, am I barking up the wrong tree in all this? No, no, not at all. Um, I, I'm, no matter... Any of the inner provinces, with the exception of Ontario and uh, BC, when it comes to condos, uh, I they're easy to manage. For me, like I have a lot of them in my own portfolio. Uh, from a management perspective, they're not that not that bad. You know, mixing different um, the mix of the homeowner, the homeowner and the tenant. I mean, there's some things that you have to look at there. But from uh, an investment standpoint, the return is not there, and and it's scary what the return will be. Uh, if you know condo owners, you know that their costs have literally doubled, if not tripled, and they don't even know if they're going to get insurance next year because that's the reality of the the condo world. So I'm with you on the condos, but I mean, you can't stay away from it when you're in Vancouver, or Toronto, but. The reason I bring it up is that, you know, we've got listeners right across the country, Canada and the U.S. I think the reason that I shine a light on it and I want to keep shining a light on it is that what I've seen happen is Toronto, for example, use Toronto, Vancouver. They're looking and talking to realtors in Calgary, we'll say Alberta, and they're looking at the cost of a condo for two, three hundred thousand dollars. And they're going, oh my gosh, I can buy four of those for what I pay in, you know, here in Toronto or Vancouver. And they don't realize that you can get into a pre-construction condo in Calgary for three hundred thousand. Yes. Uh, what's your exit strategy and what do you think is even possible in terms of renting it? And they have a skewed view of what it is because they're trying to think that it's the same as Toronto, same as Vancouver, and it's simply not. So I just want to get that message out there. I I see it continue to happen and it kind of pisses me off that they've got realtors that are, I feel like there's realtors in the industry that are taking advantage of those who are not familiar with that particular culture and that particular environment. And it is partially a cultural thing. You know, Alberta, like mm -hmm. Saskatchewan, wide open spaces. I don't need to live in a condo. I don't want to rent a condo. And that's in a generalization. I get it. But from an investment point of view, that's how I see it. And that's why I bring it up. Yeah, well, and that goes back again to the conversation we had before where realtors and, and property managers or those that have that level of expertise work together because just because it's in your price range doesn't mean that it's a good investment. Mm. And that's that, that they need to look at that. I see a lot of people... The new housing is another thing because we, you know, single family homes have skyrocketed when it comes to the rental industry. But if you're going to buy a single family home in a brand new area in a city with zero amenities, no transportation system yet, 
you are going to be vacant. You, you look shiny and new, but as soon as someone comes out there who doesn't have a vehicle or has children who need to go to school, you are not their first choice anymore. So true. I want to shine light on it. So thanks, Carla. Now, Carla, you've been generous with your time. I'm going to start to wind things down, get you back to the, uh, get you back to work. And before yeah. I do, however, before I do, however, I have some, just some fun rapid fire questions just to wind it down. You ready? Oh, sure. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll warm it up easy. Android, Android or Apple? Apple, Apple, Apple. Okay. Well, don't, you don't have to say it three times. Apple, Apple, Apple. <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> you, you, I use an Apple too, but I don't drink Apple Kool-Aid. Like I, I don't buy into it that much. I think it's good, but you know, anyways, I, I used to be on Android. So do you have a favorite tune that, or band that you like to listen to? Are you a music person? I'm not really a music person. I actually like all kinds of music. Mm -hmm. So I can't name one that I absolutely love. Okay. Favorite movie? Hmm. Favorite movie. Not a favorite, but I did watch Air last night and it was really good. People should watch that. Oh, I'm going to, I, we just had that conversation. So, uh, there, yep. there on your recommendation, I'll make sure I keep it on my priority list. Your room, your desk, or your car room, desk, or car. What do you clean first? Uh, desk. I can't work if it's not clean. <laughs> favorite swear word. <gasps> can't say it on this podcast what do you drop f-bombs you go fuck 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 is that you <laughs> i do but just not in front of a lot of other people <laughs> keep it to yourself <laughs> people think that i'm very reserved and i'm not you're not you do come across as pretty reserved pretty put together i gotta say carla you're actually a free spirit yeah is that the truth definitely okay awesome and uh do you have a favorite book or one that you recommend, or I know you mentioned traction. Is there another one that was impactful on your life, for example? Yeah, I would definitely recommend uh, traction. And um, it, I find every book I read has some kind of impact on me, I, I, I will say. Um, I think that if you are feeling um, stuck, I most I re recently just read the new um, Shetty one, um, mind it's a mindset something or other and it was really good to unstuck and um, do you follow david joggins this isn't um rapid fire anymore but i read his um never finished it's an easy read but it was just like yeah we are never finished it was it was a good one as well cool and last but not least what are you grateful for today carla i'm grateful for the opportunity to have over an hour to spend with you patrick <laughs> Well, thank you. And I am as well grateful to have had the opportunity to have this conversation with you. And I want to say thank you. I'm always grateful for my uh, wife and my family and uh, this beautiful country that we bitch about, but we live in. And so I'm grateful for that as well, Carlos. So thanks very much for uh, joining me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, 
Patrick out.